All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. I have a return guest with me. You may uh, remember her from when she appeared on an episode that we did alongside Anthony Weber regarding QAnon. And then when there was this big hubbub over the Cuties documentary, was it a documentary that was on Netflix? A uh, movie. It was movie. Okay. Yeah. And was- so she had, she had offered some of her opinions and thoughts on that stuff. And um, again, we wanted to talk about, I guess, a rebuilding and untangling of faith, why we are still in the church, despite it having some major struggles and um, why we continue to remain in the church, but what we think needs to change about it. And maybe, you know, what some of our thoughts are about that. So what I want to do, Emily, first is to just take you through what the rebuild of my faith has looked like. And then it kind of ends with where I'm at right now. Sure. And then like why I'm even bothering to, I guess, look at the church in a, in a more broad way and how can I seek to improve it and continue what's good, uh, fix what's wrong, I guess. So I am for the listener, I am going to read some of this because it's kind of an in-depth thing and I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything. So if it sounds too much like I'm reading, I apologize. Um, so my story of untangling and rebuilding Uh, God and creationism is really the only thing that ever made sense to me, Uh, not because of the not just because of the inability for science to explain a true beginning to life, but because I've always given attention to the voice inside that tells me that I was made for something. And I want to this, this I didn't write down, but I want people to think about that. Like, I think that that's something that we all have in common, whether you're in the mountains or you're standing oceanside or you're experiencing a thunderstorm or looking at a spouse and a kid and you're just like, whoa, like we're here yeah. right now. We're doing this right now. And I, I just, I've always given attention to that voice because nothing else really could explain that. Like if we're talking sure. scientifically. And so the origins science hasn't been able to, to do enough for me, uh, but still I had to push back against some of these ideas regarding Christianity. So I think in the beginning stages, any believer is fragile. You're more dependent on other believers than you are on Jesus. It takes legitimate practice to see him for who he really is, as opposed to someone that is merely a representation from imperfect people. So my permission to seek Jesus uh, for who he really is actually came from my mom. So there's a certain maturity that's needed to be a Christian that can separate the imperfect people and imperfect systems from a perfect God. And what that looks like might be a little different for everyone. And I'm not meaning to put myself on a pedestal, but I am going to just share what, what has played out in my life. All right. So back to my mom. Um, It's always been this way for me, but you do not mess with my mom under any circumstances. Um, My wife has now been added to that list, but even as a kid, I would take things very personally if someone hurt my mom. So a bit of a background on that and how it relates to the untangling and rebuilding of my faith. I'd seen multiple times throughout my church history as a kid that was going every Wednesday and every Sunday, uh, family was super involved, but I would see where other members would attack my mom for the type of ministry that her and my dad were doing. This included outreach to at-risk youth, and it wasn't always, but it was often frowned upon for the types of kids they would bring into the church. It felt automatic that certain members would put a wall around the church to protect the integrity of the establishment and never consider the consequences of closing doors to certain people and what that would mean for church attendance in the future. And we're kind of seeing that play out right now, I think, where church numbers are just dropping. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a result of years and years of 
uh, inadequate behavior. Sure. Uh, so there was, there was an anger for me, uh, not only because I thought it was antithetical to the teachings of Jesus, but because it was a pushback against my mom's efforts. And again, I take that stuff uh, personally. So fast forward, my mom is loosely diagnosed with autoimmune issues, uh, meaning that for like the last 20 years, they don't really know exactly what's going on. It's much more manageable now, but there was a point as a 12 or 13 year old that my mom was really sick, like needed to be carried to the bathroom type of sick. Eventually it became manageable. Uh, there's still recurring issues here and there, but it's not a life altering state like we thought it would be at that time. So next comes a car accident. Um, someone possibly under the influence runs a stop sign and hits my mom. The car flips into the field and she's lying upside down by the seatbelt. I get the call and I drive the couple hours to the hospital. I'm in college or early uh, graduation at, at, at this point. And on the drive, I'm going back and forth between kind of asking God for help, but also blaming him. Like I was, I was at that point where it was like, I wasn't necessarily just saying like, thank you, God, for protecting my mom. Instead, I was like, dude, do you cut it real close? You almost took her, (laughs) you know, and and there was a lot of anger um, with that. So I'd seen my mom suffer so many times that it almost became normal for bad things to happen to her. I started to live in this place of I hate you, God, for all the pain you're causing my mom and family. And the track was kind of set of harboring negative feelings towards God and constantly questioning why he was doing the things he was doing. I would often go to a place of hurt and anger because in a lot of ways, it seemed like the next logical thing to happen to my mom would be that she would die. A bad things happen to good people type of thinking, which is still something I actually really struggle with. So it just felt in a lot of ways like her story was eventually going to include some type of tragedy. And that really pissed me off. So fast forward again, my mom gets diagnosed with cancer. Like with any cancer diagnosis, there are often weeks of uncertainty Is it serious? Is she going to die? Why is the medical team taking so long to figure out what's wrong? Is the fact that they're taking so long going to cost my mom her life? I distinctly remember her sharing her diagnosis. She gathered up the family, including my wife, uh, sister-in-law, everybody, and and just shared the diagnosis and that we weren't really sure, you know, where where we were going to end up. So after that, I went down to my childhood room and essentially just started cursing God. I felt like this was the moment of tragedy that I'd been waiting for. And in a lot of ways, it was that moment that I'd been building up in my own head and heart. So plain and simple, I was done with God. Like all the years of being super protective of my mom resulted in me thinking that I could stand up to, that I could hurt, or that I could outrun God because he was now the perpetrator of harming my mom. The curious thing that I should mention is that my belief in God never stopped. I was just mad. So quickly, I'll just say to anyone who might be listening that is mad at God, just It's okay to dig into that a little bit deeper. Why are you mad at God versus ceasing to believe that he exists? Just dig around that a little bit because I had to. I wasn't willing to do that digging until my mom, seeing the hurt I was experiencing, very plainly told me to give it up. She just very clearly said that I'm not doing her or anyone else a favor by being mad at God on her behalf. She was still as faithful as ever on God, and she was the one that was actually physically experiencing the hardships of this world. So if she wasn't mad at God, then I shouldn't be mad on her behalf. That for me is when I came back around to having a meaningful personal relationship with God. From there, it's been no less complicated, uh, but it's complicated in different areas. I don't question God quite as much, or if I do, I'm less inclined to doubt or hate him. Instead, I've started to feel like my battle is with those doing a poor job within the church. And I am sometimes one of those people. 
So here we are. <laughs> Take it away. I don't know if you want to respond to that or if you want to add in some of your own kind of yeah. Reflection. Um, first of all, your mom sounds BA. She sounds great. She's awesome. <laughs> she sounds awesome. Um, I'm always really impressed when people can say you need, when people can get to the source of the matter, they're the heart of the matter. Um, I really relate to a lot of the things that you're saying there. Um, I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up in a mainly Christian home. My parents were divorced, but the house that I lived in most of the time was Christian. Um, I currently attend and work for a church as a youth director uh, same church I went to as a kid, same church that my husband grew up in. So like I'm in it, I've been in it for 33 years. It's my community, my people. Um, I have loved it. I have, I love our community, but also I really internalized a lot of fear and shame from how I grew up in the church, certain aspects that, uh, the message, like you said, maybe was poorly taught, um, people doing a poor job because we're imperfect people in an imperfect world. Sometimes that message was intentionally taught poorly. And sometimes it's just the way that it works when you have mm -hmm. people, um, you have imperfect people portraying a message there. So I, I kind of lived in that juxtaposition of like, I love this place. I feel like I'm here. I heard the voice that you're talking about, like of just, there has to be something more. Um, but then also like, I'm never doing good enough. <laughs> I live mm. in fear all the time. I have this shame because I'm not living up to a particular message that was taught to me. I grew up in purity culture. So there was like, I often felt like, well, I don't know what it means to be a good Christian woman, but I also know that I'm not doing it right. <laughs> Can so, you outline quickly for people like just what purity culture sure. kind of is? We've seen it. It recently hit the news news cycles with Lil sure. Nas X and his shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of big things. Um, so purity culture really came to a head in the nineties and early aughts, um, of in general, like the core of it, generally what it is, the core is good. Um, a good message. Mm -hmm. And then because we're broken, we twist it and break it more. Um, but really centered on, um, not having sex until marriage, that there is a very distinct uh, roles for girls and boys, which not here to disagree with that, but just the then the twisting of that was how much shame and um, fear was put on uh, boys and girls and being a girl. I felt a lot of that, a lot of weighted responsibility for making sure that none of the men in my life sinned. Um, that they didn't think any impure thoughts, anything like that. So the purity culture really centers around like staying pure. And I put that in quotes because it was really twisted from, I think, how God mm -hmm. originally intended it. So I grew up with a lot of that and a lot of just internalizing shame because my personality was just like, yeah, definitely not going to get this right. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> right? Um, so I grew up on a lot of that. And then uh, I spent my 20, I got married when I was 19. I got married young, still married. Um, I spent a lot of my twenties starting to question a lot of the things that I was taught, but because they kept, I had to, like, it felt like there, things kept happening that I thought this, I mean, they're going to have to figure this out or I'm going to just have to live in a surface level life. And I can't, my personality won't let me <laughs> live a surface level life. So there were some things that happened in my family that really pushed me against that. And I felt close to God in those situations, but the last six years in America really forced me to start untangling things that I didn't realize were tangled up in my faith. So a lot of politics, um, a lot of 
conservative stuff that I didn't really, if you've been in it your whole life, it's hard to realize uh, that this was tangled up and it's not actually Christianity. Not that Christians shouldn't be in the political realm, not that we shouldn't be voting, none of that kind of stuff, not that we should remove ourselves from it. But um, I think that we've all seen a lot in the last few years how that marriage between certain political parties and evangelical Christianity has done more damage than it has done good um, because there's a, a hunger for power there that doesn't do well. <laughs> you can't serve two master sort of situations. So I, especially in the last year and a half, have really had to come to a head of how I feel about those things, that untangling. Um, I was angry. Like you said, you kind of went in the opposite. Mm. We did I we did it reverse because I was first angry at God's people, which okay. were my people. That's the hard thing is like, okay, this is my community. So I have to say something or I need to be a part of this. Um, and then my next thing was now I'm angry at God because God's the source, right? So it's mm -hmm. like, here's the symptom, where's the source? And I really had to come to grips with that anger. And like you said, I think God can handle that. But even hearing at there's points in the last year that even hearing like not that what yours was a platitude, but that like, well, God can handle your anger. It's fine. It's like, I don't know if God can handle that kind not of anger, kind, <laughs> not yeah. this kind of anger. Like the, the way that you spoke about God, like you cut it real close. There is like how I feel like I've been yeah. talking, like gloves are off. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and oftentimes begging God to let me go. Like, I need you. I don't know if I can do this. And I have thought, I keep having this image in my head over the last year of like, me being this tiny, useless person and God, a giant and me being held in God's fist mm -hmm. and me kind of like flailing. I mean, just like, let me go, just do it. Cause I can't do this anymore. Um, and him, it just being a reckoning. And I have moved past that and just realizing like that anger is really like a deep internal grief about how I feel about the American church in general. Mm -hmm. And the grief of having to, like, when you pull a thread and realize it's not just one thread, it's a whole mess of knotted thread in your hands now was really, it was something else. It has been something else. And yeah. I think a lot of people from people I've talked to, um, especially people my age or people that live through certain situations at the same age period that I did are doing that. I don't think it's like, I don't think this is happening on a small scale. I think it's happening on quite a large scale that we're all, the American church is having the evangelical church um, is what I can speak to is having a reckoning. Mm -hmm. So it's both a broad, like a corporate and a personal reckoning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to touch back on, you had led with kind of politics. And I think that that's, has been a major point of concern for me. It, it's funny that all this came to a head, maybe around the same time. Like I started taking uh, my relationship with God and church seriously, like about maybe slightly before Trump came on the scene. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting because I've been accused quite a bit of piling on Trump. And sure. I think that some of that is that he deserves that. <laughs> sure. But some of it is is also like, I am just now becoming aware of the things that I should have kind of been pointing sure. out was wrong all along. Yeah. And they happen to just take place at the same time. Yeah. And so it is concerning, the substitution of religion with politics. And I think that we... Uh, oftentimes are are taught that that substitution is only happening on the left and it's absolutely taking place within the right. And it's not to say that someone on this left can't be a Christian because I don't think that that's, that's true. Sure. Um, but to me, it, it's almost like more egregious for a right-leaning person to replace religion with politics because 
they've always held the position that their political stance is the one that God endorses, yeah, uh, which also isn't true. And that's that's why I guess Trump, in a lot of ways, has drawn so much of my ire, is because he was the poster boy for yeah. for a lot of that. And so I, I I am fascinated by that, and I think it needs to be called out. Is the just simply the substitution of religion with politics? Yeah, that's not. I mean, that's like I said, I grew up in it, so I could have told you all the ways that that what you just said is true. Like, of course, like of course we're right. This is here's all the reasons why conservatism or Republicans get it right. And then um, when Trump came on the scene, that was a real eye opener. And like you said, I mean, I was paying attention before, but not quite as closely. And when Trump came on the scene, it was like, okay, I can deal with Trump in the sense that like, I don't have to like him. I don't like his policies. My real issue came with seeing what he was and then seeing the way that we endorsed it. And by when I say we like the American church or evangelical church, the way we endorsed it. And that was tough. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I can deal with crappy politicians. Like we do that all the time. We do that all the time. Yeah. We've been doing that for, since the beginning of America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's not a big issue. The issue is when we can't push up against that and we can't say like, um, what's going on here is wrong or, and the reason it felt like the reason we couldn't say that is because this is our chance to get the influence and power that we we so think is important. And that really you can't serve two masters. You can't have that like search for worldly power and be submitted to Christ. And so much of it was antithetical to Christ teaching in general. And so that was really hard. For me. That's when it was like a real big eye opener of like, yeah, I can like Trump's terrible. Like, I don't agree mm-hmm. with Trump, but the real issue here is how we're handling it. Because we're always going to have um, poor leadership in some way. There's always going to be broken leadership because um, nobody's perfect. But how we handle that, how we um, show that to the world matters. Mm-hmm. And that was tough. Yeah. And he he made it so he made himself and I guess the religious right a major target, an easy target, I guess I should say, because people were like able to point out his character flaws and say, well, if he's kind of this this de facto face of the religious right, then we got to call this stuff out. And then that leads to kind of some equal and opposite reactions and causes defenses to go up. And also this whole idea that, uh, I don't know if you've looked at this or thought about this, but that we sometimes mistake persecution for (laughs) a loss of power Yeah, and they're not the same thing. Just because you're losing power doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden persecuted. Yeah. And it's been um, almost like a hobby for a lot of Christians, I think, to to scream about persecution when really they have no idea what that actually means. Yeah. Yeah. Historically, it has like not been great for the church to have a lot of power mm-hmm. or at least this worldly power, um, generally because t- you have to sacrifice a lot to get that kind of power and to keep that kind of power. So usually that sacrifice is at the expense of the very people God calls his people to help. So the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. So in order to maintain this particular kind of influence and power that I think we saw a chance at with Trump, um, or just maybe even further, I'm reading lots of books that it's, it's not just Trump, right? Mm -hmm. Like any sort of Republican president that we have clung on to, um, in order to maintain that kind of power, you have to move in a way that is antithetical to Christ's teaching and it's untenable, right? And I think that with Trump, it was just super, super obvious because it was so, there are so many things that people outside of the church can be like, hold up, mm-hmm. this is not what you've been saying for years. This is not what you're supposed to be teaching. This is not what your own, like your own Christ 
um, portrays. So how, what's, what's going on here? Um, so I think it was like very front and center with Trump, but I think we've been doing it for a long time, but we just can't do that. We, what we think that power and that influence is so important, um, because we want to say, well, then we're reaching more people. Like mm-hmm. if you have more power and more influence and you're reaching more people and it's like, but at what expense? Yes. And I think we've been seeing that a lot in the last five years. It's like this expense, the expense of people, the expense of our witness, like who cares if you have a broad voice, if nobody wants to listen to it or nobody takes it seriously. Yes. Um, so that has been, it, it's just something else, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know. And I, I was, um, yeah, I, I'm going to share a couple of, I guess, resources. Maybe I'll even link to them in the show notes, but things that have really helped me the last couple of years are not only just the church that I now call home and, and people that have listened to the podcast at all are familiar with Anthony Weber. So he's the pastor mm-hmm. there. He's been a huge blessing to, to Abby and I, but also a couple of podcasts. So the Holy Post and yeah. Southside Rabbi are two things, two resources that have just like really opened my eyes to, to just the things that the church has gotten wrong and that these aren't, these aren't new issues. And the thing that um, I was thinking about is a big part, or maybe the part of Christianity is to treat people as though they are made in the image of God because they are. And if we go all the way back, I'm wondering like how we as a church can be surprised that we sometimes aren't taken seriously after we made Jesus white. Right. So (laughs) you like, you can look at that and be like, yeah, it's just, you know, a couple of paintings on, you know, grandma's wall or, or, or the cross in the church that has white Jesus, but this isn't just some cultural mix up. It was a legitimate effort to make Jesus more exclusive. And at one time it was a prevailing belief in the United States that hierarchies were sanctioned by God. And so whites were at the top, blacks were at the bottom. Slave culture was defended through improper use of scripture. And now, even though we've moved past slave culture, I still think in a lot of ways, white Jesus leads many to feel like he is still exclusive. And I think, again, even though we're past this, this slave culture, it's still perpetuating a culture that exists of if you can't be white, then at least you need to act and think white. Yeah. And the reason we want people to act and think white is so that conservative Christians can still exist in some semblance of the bubble that has been present since the inception of the U S without having to take a hard look at what we've been, uh, built upon. Yeah. I can say that, um, on a personal level, as I've been untangling, um, deconstructing, which I know is like a taboo word. (laughs) Sometimes it really can scare, uh, Christians. I think what needs to happen obviously after that is reconstruction, but like in the process of that, I, especially in the last year in the last two years really broadened the scope of the voices I was listening to. Um, so whether I had not been listening to certain people out of just like, whether it's intentional or is out of ignorance, like the point was, well, I'm not listening to a broad enough scope. I'm not listening to people. I haven't been learning from people that have different backgrounds than me, have different experiences. And like, how can I really fully learn, um, without just in general about humanity. And then I started looking at Christians who had different experiences or different um, backgrounds than me. And that change something. Mm -hmm. It was huge. And it really, in a time of like deep grief and deep anger brought me a lot of peace. It wasn't like, um, I was still listening to people who believed the core tenets of the faith. It was just, uh, people who were pushing back on things that I was concerned about or questioned or had, um, a different viewpoint on that really helped me and brought me like a lot of, um, relief and a lot of, just, um, yeah, like a lot of relief during a time mm. that I was just 
I was aching for it. And I was in such grief about the, maybe hope it gave me some, God was like, okay, here's like a little refocus. Let's refocus. Let's look at the community that you actually have, um, the voices that you can be listening to. And that really did a huge number on me. It was really great. Mm-hmm. It, it's so great. So again, back to Southside Rabbi, this recent episode that they did uh, with Esau McCauley, and, and I Esau. haven't read his book, but he's awesome. I'm um, in the middle of reading, it. reading Well Black. Yep. So and good. Just explaining like how he is a, as a black man reads the Bible and it's probably a lot different than how I have as a white man. And just, he was giving a few nuggets that I was like, you know, I guess if you, if I dug deep enough, I probably knew that, but he brought things to the forefront and he's like, we see this all the time of, you know, a white conservative Christians just being aghast at the percentage of black Christians that can vote democratic and how Mm -hmm. we're like, how is that possible? Cause you know, Democrats are of the devil. And it's like, what, what do you expect in terms of uh, like progressivism uh, when you have, you know, if we're white conservative Christians, uh, that is rooted in, in a lot of ways, like the antebellum South mm-hmm. and our faith was coming from a position of power because we held that power right. versus um, a culture and a faith that is coming from a place of slavery. Yeah. And like, how would they not be progressive? And yeah. he said that. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like they literally stemmed from opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And so to me, it's like one group is trying to protect this power that they've had all along. And this other group is coming from a place of like pain and grief and lament and also like hope too, yeah. though. And so I think you just looking at that and understanding that and, and asking yourself, like, I don't know, how can we practice the best of, of all of that? Right. You know? And not only, um, are they coming from different ends of the spectrum possibly, but also there were times, especially if we're talking about just our country's history, that they tried to come into our realm. I don't like these different terms, but you know what I'm saying? That we, uh, that white churches actively kept them out. So mm-hmm. they had to go and we couldn't, we didn't create that unity that the Bible talks about, about the different nations and the different colors coming together and worshiping one God that it, it, we still, even after slavery ended and we had the civil rights, we still kept it separate. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, there's probably some critique to be had here in all sorts of realms, but we also need to talk about the way that we've kept ourselves separate, that we didn't include outside voices because not because they were um, heresy, but because we look different than each yeah. other. And so I think that's a huge thing to look at too. And I, I wonder, I see a lot of people coming, like trying to grapple with that and that's really encouraging, but I also see a lot of people really just not wanting to even hear the conversation mm-hmm. and trying to turn it into like, Oh, it's a CRT thing, or it's all these different areas that it's like, I, I, we just need to grapple with it. Yeah. We need to try to hold some responsibility, even if it's painful, even if that means we lose a little bit of influence or power that we've had for a long time. And I, I think that's what this reckoning is that God is shaking up his church and it sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's good, but it hurts and it's painful. And I don't think that you don't have growth. You don't have healing without reckoning and without really looking looking it in the face. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that's where we're coming from. And it's, it's just hard. I mean, I, I can really sympathize with that, how hard that is, but I don't think we're going to move forward if we can't do it. And also what maybe makes it like more of a unique challenge is if you have 
particularly white conservative Christians that are also seeing this reckoning that's happening outside of the church. So we talk about on a societal level, like sure. things like police brutality and, mm. and all that, even some of the, the things we're seeing like in Georgia playing out with some of the new policies put in place um, that, you know, maybe is restricting some voting uh, yeah. inability to give people water yeah. uh, when they're waiting in long voting lines. And it's, it's really interesting because white conservative Christians get, we need to come up with an acronym, white con- WC squared um, <laughs> that that's no shorter than white. Too. And um, is that we, we want to be the ones that are molding the conversation mm-hmm. and controlling which direction it's going. And I think that we're feeling really defensive in a lot of ways because we're seeing conversations not only taking place in the church, but also outside of the church, but we very much want control over both of those arenas. Yeah. Yes. 100% that we still want that control, which is interesting because as Christians, we're taught to like relinquish control, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that we're not in control. God's in control. And, um, I mean, I very much relate to the fact, like I'm a planner. I want the control. Like I want to have some semblance of control over my life, but I totally agree with that, that we want, we want the the results without having to change anything. We want to control the situation. We still want to have like people speak when we tell them to speak. Um, we want them to shut up when what they're saying is hard. And I think for me personally, if I'm, you know, coming from that world, like it has been a year of like, okay, I just have to sit back and listen. There are some voices that I, or some realms that I need to just listen. Um, and then there are going to be times when I need to speak up. And I think that has been the difficult part in the last couple of years, last five years is first of all, like it started with just kind of a bewildering, like grief and anger. Cause when Trump was even just when he started to, um, was on the election cycle, it was just kind of like, what is going on? Like it was just mm-hmm. at first, I think for everybody, it was kind of a joke. But then as I watched more and more people that I really loved and respect, um, hold them up as the ideal. It was kind of bewildering and confusing. And then a lot of anger and grief. And when I, I felt many times when I pushed back after he was president and I would saying thing, I had the, you know, you're piling on, you're a never mm-hmm. Trumper, you're none of these things. And I, I felt like the conversation never went anywhere. And that was really difficult because I, I, these are my people. So like, I want to say something to my people, or I feel like if we're, we are, maybe the church, maybe the best way to say is the church is more concerned with protecting our own than what God calls us to do, which is to go out into the world, to love people. And I am less concerned. Like there, you hear a lot of like, well, the media is terrible to Christians and we're persecuted, like you've said, and which I would highly disagree with in America. (laughs) But I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes we're not unfairly critiqued. That's definitely a thing. Yes. Um, I'm not trying to downplay that, but I'm also not trying to play up like anything that's happening to us compared to the rest of the world and Christians happening, things happening to Christians around the rest of the world. But I am less concerned with what the secular world says about us than I am how we treat the secular world. Because if we are adhering to the Bible or to what God's word says, there's a standard there. Like God has said, you treat people like this. You talked about the Imago Day, which is great because we have been teaching our youth group this year. We did a whole series on Imago Day and it was awesome. But one of the big things about Imago Day, I think we forget is like, okay, image bears. It means the image of God. 
everybody is made in the image of God. It is not once you become a Christian, you are an image bearer and then you get treated a certain way. It's everybody across the board. Like God made humanity and he said it was very good. And it's not, you start getting treated with respect and love and this overwhelming sense of grace and mercy. Once you adhere to what we've said, it is no matter what, I'm going to treat you with love and respect. Cause when I look at you, you're an image bearer of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like I'm supposed to see my creator when I look at you. And so I, I am, I have gotten a lot of flack for this too. And a lot of like, why are you still here? Sort of yep. thoughts because I'm pushing back more on my own people than I am on the world that has some critique for us. And I'm like, well, sometimes that critique is necessary. Sometimes mm-hmm. that critique is good. Um, and it makes sense and we, it would do us well to listen to it. Uh, so I, am just, I'm less concerned with what the world has to say about us in terms of like critique or pushback because I think, okay, that's fine. But I am concerned about how we are treating the world or how we respond to that. And again, that sense of power and influence causes us to, um, really try to protect each other and sweep things under the rug so that the outer appearance looks good and we can continue to hold on to that power and influence but I think the cracks are really showing mm-hmm. lately. We seem to have given ourselves permission as Christians to like hit back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. You don't, like you said, just now persecution is too strong of a word, but it doesn't mean that we're sometimes unfairly judged or critiqued. Sure. And as soon as that happens, it's like, not only are we hitting back, but we want to hit harder. Yeah. And it's, it's not a good witness. And it, it's like, I've had my heart broken so many times the last couple of years by, I'd say more broken by fellow Christians mm-hmm. than I have by the secular world. Yeah. And there's a you know, special kind of hurt when it comes to yeah. the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like for every great conversation I have with Anthony, there's also a pastor that I have on Facebook that is like posting things like I will never apologize for my gender and skin color. Yeah. And it's like, how brave of you, sir, <laughs> yeah. to, to put that because, yeah. uh, all, all that person is doing is building a wall and, and making that wall taller and taller. There's not even a gate to let others in. And the only people that he's surrounding himself with are people that were already behind that wall to begin with. And yeah. that are just patting him on the back for taking such a, a brave stance. <laughs> yeah. And it's, that's the stuff that's disheartening is it's like you, you are not being a witness at all. You're, you're just causing people to be put on the defensive and to be drawn further away. And honestly, I'm not even talking about trying to increase church numbers or anything like that. I'm just talking about the world taking Christians seriously, whether they're going to be Christians themselves, um, or at the very least, like take us seriously enough that they can include us in conversations of what's happening. Cause yeah. if they don't take us serious, then we really don't have a say in, in what's going on and it's our own fault. Yeah. Like uh, our witness is damaged when we say things like, if you vote this way, you're not a Christian. Or if you do this thing, you're immediately going to hell. And it's this like, man, I don't really think that's how any conversation is going to grow. Um, again, it doesn't mean that you don't stand up for what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that you don't give a little pushback every now and then um, when you're standing up for truth. But this idea of like, no, we already have, it almost feels like we already have everybody in our circle that we're going to get. We were, and so now it's time to like circle up the wagons and we're just protecting our inner circle. And we can say whatever we want about the world because it's evil and it's doomed for hell. And it's like, I, I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see where God says like, Oh, you got your numbers, right? Okay. Now it's time Mm -hmm. to like start pushing back or it's time to like, don't turn that other cheek, but punch harder. 
And I, I don't know if we really have grappled with yet that how damaged our witness is, mm-hmm. especially over the last five years of people saying, you've been saying this particular thing about your Christ and your Christianity for years. And now it like when push comes to shove, it feels like your actions are different than what your words have been saying. And I think that is a valid critique. I think that's something it's just hard when it comes from outside the church. I think for us, mm-hmm. it's hard that it's like, it's been really hard for me that I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I think the world is doing it better than we are. And that's real tough because we're claiming we're standing on the ground of Christ. And it's really difficult when I see people outside of the church, it's in terms of like comparing them to inside the church of like, I think that they are doing it better than us. And that's not, that's wonderful for the world that there's loving people, but like we are claiming Christ. Like we are claiming, claiming the most loving creator in the universe. And, and we don't, we're not representing him. So not only when we talk about image bearers, is that like we see other people as image bearers is that Christ told us you, if you come to me, if you adhere to my standard and my word, now you get a chance to be a part of the restoration in that. So are we being a part of the restoration or are we being a part of the problem and the brokenness? Are we furthering the brokenness? And that is when like, when we stop seeing the image bear and other people, when we stop seeing the image of God and other people, I think that we also stop showing that in ourselves. We start moving farther away from the humanity that God intended in ourselves too. So not only do we degrade it in other people, then we degrade it in ourselves. And it's just like this spiraling out that I've been seeing that's really disheartening and hard mm-hmm. to witness. Do you, do you think it's time in the conversation to kind of move towards the church in a more broad sure. sense? Um, so obviously Listeners can probably tell you and I are perfect. Um, yes, and doing so, so great. Yeah, these are not <laughs> our issues. These are the church's issues. Um, that's a joke. So maybe just outline, because I know you keep up on a lot of this stuff. Um, outline what some of the problems are. Like on my short list was there's been a lot of scandal, yeah. uh, hypocrisy. I also had on my list like this inability to serve others in a way that I think we're supposed to be serving. Mm-hmm. And that includes non-Christians. Yep. Uh, so what are some of the things that you've seen lately that's, that's harming the church's witness as a whole? Okay. Well, I definitely think a lot of what you just mentioned feels correct and feels like symptoms of the matter. Um, so the scandal, there's been a lot of sexual abuse scandals, um, sort of impropriety scandals, things like that, that I think the hard thing is our inability to take responsibility, um, our inability to look deeply at issues within the church because it doesn't, it, it's not a good look just in general. Mm. <laughs> when these scandals come out, um, we want to cover it up as fast as we can. We want to, maybe if it, uh, we have a problem with celebrity culture, I think just as much as the secular world does, it's just our celebrities look different. They are clothed in the Bible and generally the flag and (laughs) it looks different. So we can, we can kind of progress that as, or uh, say that's a little bit more holy maybe than just like dirty Hollywood, but we do have a problem with celebrity. We have a problem with power um, that we want the things that like in general, that broken humanity wants. Right. I, I think that our, maybe our big issue is that saying that we are so different than the rest of humanity. It's like, we're different because we have decided to follow a creator but like the brokenness of us isn't different. The sin that we are 
capable of, if we're talking in Christianese terms, is not different. Like we still are broken inside. We still want that. We still fight for uh, power and uh, influence and greed. All of these things is still a part of us. And I think that maybe part of the issue is that we think we're not capable of that or we can move past it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that inability to take responsibility things for take to have a hard look at it, um, to think somehow that because we follow the creator of the universe, that somehow we are the creator. Of the universe. Mm. <laughs> like there's a God complex happening there. Um, and I think that we've raised ourselves above what is good and true. Yeah. It sounds a lot like Christian nationalism plays into that. Yeah. Because you talk about the universe, you talk about the world. It's like, we almost have our own little world here called the United States. Right. And all the the issues that that can cause when we're, when we're tangling up a lot of these things and it's religion and it's politics and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, you see so much scandal and like the things that the church is doing incorrectly and what, what hurts the witness is, is not just that those things are happening and that they're bad. Um, but that they're things that we oftentimes are, are preaching like under no circumstances can these things be happening. Sure. And it's, it's some of our, most, um, notable people yeah. that are, are doing these things. So you talk about Robbie Zacharias and I yeah. did an episode on him with my little brother and looking yeah. at just like the damage that that caused, not yeah. only to the women that he physically harmed, but how many people like I, like I spoke to in the beginning when we have maybe like new, new Christians, they're very reliant on God's people Yeah, because it takes it takes time. It takes practice to, to not be so reliant on imperfect people because they're at the, at that time, they are representing, you know, Jesus to you Yeah. and how damaging that must've been. Like how many people had just recently stumbled across Ravi Zacharias's work and were just, you know, did he lead them to God? And yeah. then all of a sudden they're like, Oh boy, yeah. if he stumbled, then this whole thing must be a sham anyway. So, right. they're, so they're damaged by it. Uh, Carl Lentz would be another one when we talk about celebrity pastors too. And there's just all these strange little things that are popping up. Like there's even some stuff surrounding pastors and their wardrobe and why are pastors wearing $3,000 shoes. Sure. And again, this is not uh, necessarily like a super common thing, but these are all things that when they're in the spotlight, it makes Christians seem less legitimate, I guess. Yeah. The, the Ravi thing, I'll tell you, I didn't, I knew who Ravi was and I knew enough of his work. Um, I wasn't like a super follower, but the Ravi thing broke me a little bit. Like when I, the latest, um, one that came out like February, the latest report, I sat in my bed and I cried for hours. Like I was so mad. Um, because what the beautiful thing about Christianity and about Christ and about God is that like the the gift of salvation if you're talking again in christianese terms comes is just a gift of grace nothing you can do um you don't have to work for it it's just a gift of grace and mercy but one of the things that we do poorly is take that and twist it again and we we take it as a way to force people to do things that they shouldn't have to do or to love us a certain way or to uh, treat us a certain way and then we, um, so when they sin, we say, 
okay, that's like the weight of eternity is on it. Mm-hmm. And we are not careful with what we are holding, which is humanity and the image of God, right? This thing that we are supposed to be loving and protecting. We are not, we're almost uh, just kind of laissez-faire about it. And that is really tough. And I think like, that's not to say it is difficult when there is scandal in the church, obviously, for lots of reasons. Um, I think we make it worse when we try to downplay that. Yeah. So with the Ravi thing, okay. So what I see often in the church, again, I would like to point out that like the only reason I am this critical of the church is because I love the church. Like these are again, my people. So if I hated the church and I like, sometimes I think it can sound like I don't like the church, Mm -hmm. I would just walk away. Like I could just write you off sort of situation. I come at this because I love it and I want it to be what Christ wants it to be. And again, I'm not perfect in that. And I have my own issues in that, but I think what the church does when we have scandals Oftentimes, at least on a grand scale, I see it done maybe better on local scales sometimes, but the grand scale is that um, we want to downplay it immediately. We want to, we want to make sure that person, whoever the scandal's about, so whether it's Carl or there's been lots of different issues in the last years, Ravi has passed away. So there's not really like a, let's get him back in the market sort of thing. But um, this idea that they're fixed. Like we'll send them away to a rehab or like some sort of Christian counseling. And then six months later, they're back in the marketplace and we're like, yep, we've fixed it. It's good. And oftentimes, again, that comes at the expense of the person, the victims in it, the people who have been marginalized or oppressed. And we are asking them whether we've faced it or not. uh, We are asking them to continue to shoulder the burden of the pain of the scandal or the pain that they have been um subjected to and i i don't think i don't see that in scripture i don't see that as how god play wants things to be played out like things need to come to light and the idea that we just downplay it because we don't downplay that in the secular world i mean like the christian the church doesn't downplay it when the secular world messes up right, right, right. the secular world does the same thing that we do which is they try to downplay it in, in some aspects because nobody wants to go through the healing process nobody it's really hard especially on the scandals like on this level to take responsibility there are often consequences that are really difficult as there should be but i think when we downplay it when we don't and the way the church downplays it is we talk about the grace of God. We talk about the mercy. Um, but we don't often talk about it for the victims. We don't talk about it for the people that it has really caused a lot of pain to. We just caught, we want, we want again, this power of influence or this, this power structure of like, okay, well, you're fit. That was bad, but God loves me. And so like, I'm just a sinner, but here I'm back in the market and buy my next book. And I, I don't think, we grapple with it enough. I think our, mm. our big issues, we don't know how to lament. We don't know how to grapple with hard situations. And we want just, we want the power and we want the influence because that's how we think we're going to get people. And, um, that means that we don't often go through the whole healing process for yeah. both victim and the person who did the victimizing. Mm-hmm. I think also like all of what you just said is so great. Um, we we're really bad at finding our own blind spots yeah. and maybe that's because they're blind everybody, spots. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I had made a, a video on Facebook one time kind of showing the parallel between Christian's treatment uh, and response to Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein, um, the Hollywood dude, <laughs> and then Ravi Zacharias. And I 
saw a lot of Christians that were saying evil like Harvey exists because God isn't present in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And then they don't say a peep when it comes to Ravi Zacharias. And it's like, I, both of those things are really, really terrible. Yeah. But if I had to pick one that would, that kind of should break your heart a little bit more. Yep. I think it's got to be the dude that was in your own house. That was, yeah. It's the was, dude that says yeah. you are my prize from God. It's the dude that says yeah. like, I get this, I get to victimize you. I get to oppress you. I get to sexually abuse you because I have been so good for God. Like you, when you put the weight of eternity on it, when you bring God into it as Christians, that should break our heart more. I mean, the Weinstein thing is terrible, obviously like it's, it's all broken. We're all part of a broken mm -hmm. world. But when, as Christians, when one of our own says, I did this and God says it's okay. When clearly God does not say this is okay. Clearly God tells us to help the oppressed and the marginalized and has very strong feelings and sexual abuse that should break our heart more. And it should push us towards more um, responsibility, yes. more taking accountability. And it, it often doesn't. And yeah. it's hard because we, so many people love, if you're talking about Ravi, so many people loved Ravi and he did you know, he had a big sphere of influence and we still want to be like, well, we can still use his books. It's okay. It's like, why is our focus on Robbie mm -hmm. and not the people who he has victimized? Yeah. And I think that's just the same with the church and same, you know, you could all sorts of issues within the church and the Catholic church and all these kind of things is like where our focus needs to be on what God says our focus should be on, which is the marginalized and the oppressed. And uh, I think it's often not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I so much agree with that. And I think I know neither or neither of us are trying to say like one of those is worse than the other. Like sure. the pain yeah, I didn't of, think of victims is, is real on both sides. But for me, I'm thinking as a Christian, which, which one should spur more action from me? It should be the, the Ravi situation where it's like, man, those, those systems were messed up and I got to make sure that that own stuff isn't happening in my church. Yeah. And so you know, I'm, I'm suspecting that your local pastor it doesn't have the same sphere of influence as a Ravi Zacharias, sure. but there, he's still part of us. He or she is still part of a system and you need to have checks and balances, make sure people, yeah. um, are, are following up on things. And honestly, it's, it's because you care about that person. It's not a, it's not that you're trying to babysit anyone. It's because you care about the person you care about the, the congregation and the flock and we have to make sure that there are things in place that are protecting people. Yeah. And it goes back to the victims as well. Um, we, we need to sit with those people and not just say like, even though we've maybe like if, if the Ravi Zacharias situation led your church to look and say, okay, we got to make sure that we have systems in place that doesn't allow something uh, like this to happen under our own roof. Yeah. That's awesome. That's right. great. But there's probably some people in your church that have been negatively impacted by something in the past. And so we need to make sure that we're checking in with them, too. I don't know what that what that looks like necessarily, but you're right. We can't forget about the victims in these cases. Well, I think what it looks like, too, is that community, right? Like, uh, I think humans in general are relational beings. They're called to community, whether you believe in God or not. I think that just the way that we function is is best done in community with each other. But as Christians, God calls us to be in relationship with each other and not this surface level relationship where it's just like you show up on a Sunday morning and it's like you shake your hand after the pastor tells you to, and it's like, oh, I'm doing good. You're doing good. Great. Like real community where you 
have people in your life that push back a little bit and say they check in. They say they can tell you if you've gone a little bit off course. Um, I think I do think we have to be careful about that. That doesn't mean that. I mean, this is something I've struggled with and I'm moving past. But when I was younger, the idea that like not everybody has a say in my life just because you're a Christian doesn't mean mm. you get a say in my life. So I do think we have to be careful about that. And again, that is where accountability and responsibility and again, community, like people who have put in the time and effort in my life get a say in my life. They get in terms of like having some sort of influence in my life. And um, I don't think that we can, I think you could spread this out broadly too, that the American church wants to have a say in the world without being in the world, without like loving the world well. Keep going. And, and I can tell you that, like, I don't know about you. I could, well, I could probably say this about you too. I don't, there have been people in my life that have wanted to tell me things. Um, in the church, we say sharing your heart, which is like, <laughs> it's <disgusting. Yeah. laughs> just want to share my heart with you. And it's usually something terrible. They want to tell you about yourself. Um, but that I'm, I'm less inclined to listen to somebody who has had no, has not been a part of my life, who has not um, walked with me through some trials and some hardships than I am for somebody who has walked alongside me, who has heard me in the depths of my grief or anger, has shared in my joy. And I think that the Christian church wants to be, wants that for the world, which is like a good want to want to spread the love of Jesus or whatever um, in the world, but they don't want to dive deep into what that means. They don't want to dive into community with their neighbors who aren't Christians. And I'm not saying that for everybody, because I do know some lovely people who do this really well. Um, again, this is broadly speaking, but I think that if we can't be in the world in the sense that we are loving the people around us, whether they are Christians or not, because at the end of the day, inherently they're uh, the image of our creator, then we are not going to have the influence that we want. We're not going to have the sphere of witness that we, we think that we could have. And I, I don't blame the world for not wanting that. Right. I don't blame the world for seeing so many people telling so many Christians saying like, we hate you, you're going to hell. And then being like, come to our church on Sunday. No, yeah. of course not. <laughs> like, very inviting. Yeah. It's very inviting. Again, doesn't mean you don't stand up for truth, but I think that we have really taken that like, Oh, I'm just telling the truth sort of thing. And, uh, kind of molded it into our own, mm -hmm. our own, uh, stuff. I think it's interesting. And any Christian can probably look back at this. Any person actually, like if you think that you're, um, you're a good person, you have some, some admirable qualities. People usually notice that the most when you haven't had to tell them about it. Yeah. When you've just shown them like who you are, mm -hmm. like, Oh, Taylor, you're a really caring person. Oh, did you say that because I just got done like giving you a big spiel about how caring I am? Right. Or is it because I just carried something out that showed you how, how caring I was and showed yeah. you my heart through my yeah. actions? And I think that the church has to, to get back to that. Like we have to be in service of people again, and not just in service of people that are part of our, our community and under our own roof, but people that are outside of it. And I always have this analogy of, again, it goes back to like maybe the conservative Christian but there's these, as a social worker, I was constantly seeing complaints of fraud in the food stamp system. Mm -hmm. And I've used this analogy probably way too many times in podcasts, but I can tell you the fraud, it doesn't exist at the level that people think it does sure. or that they want it to. But when I hear people complain about fraud in the food stamp system, 
I always just want to ask and say, what are you doing? Are you tithing your 10% so your church can effectively serve the community? Right. Are you donating to your favorite local nonprofit? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Because if you're doing all those things and then you're finding legitimate reasons to be upset with fraud in the food stamp system, I'm much more willing to hear it because yeah. you're actually trying to serve people instead of just complaining about a system that's already in place that even if it's imperfect, at least it's doing something. Yeah. And it's, it's much more effective than your $0 a month to your church or local nonprofit. Right. Yep. hundred percent. It's the, uh, the idea that, oh gosh. Yeah. I, I really agree. <laughs> just this, this idea that we get to, to say things without doing things. We get to speak a certain way and pontificate on lots of things, but not actually be a part of the solution. And also, even if you're a part of the solution, like that's great and wonderful and, and the hope obviously, but maybe still look on why, if you're talking about the food stamp situation, the fraud, maybe still look at the deeper reasons why you're like concerned about fraud. Mm -hmm. Like, is it, uh, because you want your tax dollars to be going towards something good? Or is it like, is there some other issues there yeah. that you need to look at? And I think that can be, a, that can be broadly applied to a lot of things. You can talk about the problem of the situation, but what's the core reason that you're upset about it? Mm -hmm. Is the core reason because something bad or truly bad is happening, or is it something else that you need to root out in yourself? And we want to point our fingers. And I, I, I say, this is somebody who has who struggles with this is, are we more willing to point our fingers and say, the problem is all over here. Okay. Well, what's the problem internally? And that, I mean, like there's, you know, it's hard. It's yeah. hard because it, often it means you have to apologize. There's been plenty of times when I've been wrong and I'm like, Oh my gosh, the worst thing in the world right now is the fact I have to apologize and admit mm -hmm. that I'm wrong. Like it sucks to admit that you're wrong, but it's, uh, as the church's issue here is that we need to say like, okay, here, like it doesn't do us any, it's not harmful to us in the sense to say, we were wrong and here's how we're going to do better. It's harmful to us when we don't say that we are wrong and we just keep sweeping it under the rug. Yeah. And then like are so confused why people keep tripping over the rug and dying. <laughs> like mm -hmm. It's like the hill is so big under the rug <laughs> that we, and we're just like, we have no idea what's going on. And I want us to be a people. And this is something I struggle with too. Like I understand that it's difficult, but we're not going to get anywhere by sweeping things under the rug by not, um, like pretending that we have got it all figured out, that we've never done anything wrong. Like historically, that's just not accurate. Mm -hmm. Not even historically, present day, that's just not accurate. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's difficult, but I think the only way forward. Yeah. And it's like that sweeping under the rug while simultaneously like pointing at the, our neighbor's rug that sure. has a much bigger hill. And it's yeah. like, as long as we can, as long as we can just, we don't have to fix what's wrong with us. We just have to magnify the issue that's, that's happening elsewhere so that people will focus more on that. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, I don't know what time you have to go. It's quarter after three. Um, I have plenty of time, but yeah, I'm good. Right um, now. like how do we, how do we move forward or are there other things that we need to point out first? Um, well, I, maybe a good place for us to go right now is like, why do you have we stayed? Oh yes. Thank you. <laughs> because it does. I think I, I again, a conversation, something I've asked myself, like, why, why have I stayed? Why do I stay? Like I have, my heart has been so broken in the last five or six years. And then the last year has just been really rough. Um, and like I said, I mean, there's been times that I, I just, 
God, let me go. Just do it because man, this is so difficult. Um, but I think if you want to know why I've stayed or what we can do, because when you talk about the broad American church, it's so overwhelmingly huge. If you're talking about all of the evangelical church in America, that's, it can feel so overwhelming and you can't do anything. So you don't do anything. And that's often where I go. It's like, there's no way I can, one person can do all of this. I think for me, what helps and what has helped is I have to often narrow my focus to my local church. Um, not that I forget what's happening on the broad scale, but at least for me personally, my personality is really easy to see broad patterns and how that fits into lots of different things. But, um, that again, that community is really important. Um, being actually a part of people's lives, not just like a very, not a shallow jumping from place to place or from relationship to relationship or in terms of friendship or Christian relationships. Um, but actually being a part of a community that allows you to have people who tell you when you've messed up, who can point out the good and the bad, um, who can carry you through when, I mean, honestly, the way that God has gotten to me in the last year, especially is through his people, like the people I'm angry at his people. And he also has used his people mm-hmm. to carry me through, which is like this crazy juxtaposition to be in. Um, now I do want to say like, I understand it's easy for me because I go to the same church you go to. I, um, Anthony has been in my life for well over a decade. Um, and I have other great friends and leadership that have been very helpful, but I do want to say like, there are people, especially in the last few years who have had to leave their local church. So this is not me trying to like negate that or shame anybody who had to leave a toxic situation. Just for me personally, what held me on was focusing on the local aspect of the American church, because otherwise I think I would have left. I think it would have been too difficult. And that is probably a slight against me that I just, there were times when I felt like I couldn't hold myself up, Mm -hmm. um, which is a whole nother theological (laughs) conversation to have. But I think if we only think about how the big scale, we, there won't be a difference made because Mm -hmm. it's too big for one person or one church. But if we can, narrow it down into our communities and think, what can we do in our daily lives? What can we be a part of? What does that look like? Not only in my church, but then when I'm out in my community, that's not a part of my church. Like, how can I live that way? Because ultimately, even if I'm angry at how things have played out, I still believe God's word. So a lot of that untangling has come from to like come from me untangling brokenness of the world from what God has done and having to like, know that they can often walk hand in hand, but also like God's not dependent on this thing. This Mm -hmm. is an independent source and the brokenness sucks, but it's not, it's doesn't have to be tangled up with God. Like if that is messed up, if the brokenness is messed up, doesn't mean that the source of it is broken. I echo like a, a lot of what you said and I'm thinking back, you know, why am I still here? So people probably got the idea and the understanding that I've been in the church basically my whole life. And something that my parents did really good or really well is just showing me like the grace and the hope that exists with God. Mm -hmm. And even though I pushed back even against that at some point, it was still like anchoring me enough that I could kind of mess around and like push back, but it was always going to, 
bring me back into the fold, I guess. Yep. And that that's been enough to like stabilize me so that I can have this almost like anger with a lot of the systems that are in yep. place. But simply put, like why I'm still in the church is because I want to help be part of the fix. Yeah. And I want to contribute to that. And I have this really intense curiosity because I, I, in a lot of ways, think I am new to the faith. Like there's so much of scripture that I was taking it all in when I was a kid, but I wasn't really ever caring to actually understand it. Sure. And now I'm almost having to like relearn a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And there's a curiosity that's driving that. So I want to know why, why I was taught the way I was taught, how it relates to uh, people that haven't lived the same life experiences that I have. And I have this curiosity and also, I don't know if I just personally am inclined to this um, because I think there are situations, like you said, some people have had to just leave and walk away because that's what's best for them at this point. Um, it, when I talk about leaving their specific toxic environment, sure, um, is that I'm just inclined to be in the trenches for things that I'm struggling with and that I see other people struggling with because if I want a say in how things should go, I have to be there participating in making it better. Sure. And I want to be part of that community. I want to uh, contribute to your betterment as, as someone that attends my church. And I want to be open to your contributions to, to Abby and I's life too. And I wouldn't be able to do that without actually being in the building. But I also understand I'm still in some fragile states. Like mm -hmm. I have a lot of resentment towards a lot of people yeah. uh, that, that I felt like, could have done a better job modeling things for me growing up. I mean, there's, there's quite a few examples of, of things that I saw growing up. You know, there's been some, some actual trauma that's taken place for me at the church too. And um, so those are all things that I'm aware of and that still kind of leave me a little bit broken and fragile, but I'm really just have this intense curiosity and desire right now to be part of what I think is a, um, a refining of the church. So yeah. if we, we could probably talk a little bit about church numbers are dwindling. Um, that sucks. Yeah. But like, is, is this a chance for refinement? Is this mm -hmm. a chance for those that are in the fold that we can reach them at a different level than we have been? Yeah. Like, how can we in our little community, uh, reach people in a way that even like Hillsong couldn't reach people because, right. you know, maybe there's things that are being watered down. But sure. we can combat that more effectively because we're a smaller group. Yeah. So all that stuff is just, it's leaving me really curious and hopeful. Although that hope, it ebbs and flows big yeah. time, you know? It's hard. I I think something that we both have touched on a little bit here is um, what a gift it is to have had people in our life. And I think this is really important because I know that there, I know people who have their stories include not having these type of people in their life, but the opportunity, if I hadn't had the opportunity to vocalize my anger and my grief to openly lament with uh, my pastor or be really raw, like there has been some very raw moments in the last year for me that don't look pretty. They don't sound pretty. They don't sound probably what you want um, somebody that's in your local church leadership to say, cause it doesn't look good. It doesn't have the shiny veneer on it, but I, if I hadn't had the opportunity to vocalize it, to kind of have people walk alongside me in my lament, I, I don't know what I would have done, but that, 
the ability to dig into that and then for people to continue to love me through that and not just say like, don't ask questions or like what you're doing is a sin, any of that kind of stuff. It changed the course of my direction. It redirected my grief, it, it, um, that acknowledgement of grief and pain and trauma. It does something to people. And I, mm-hmm. so I think what a gift that is to give to other believers, to give not only other believers, but people in the world. This is something that everybody can benefit from. And I don't think you do that without being in community. Um, but as somebody who's had that provided for me from not only leadership, but from just friends, I, I think I know how imperative it is to provide that for other people. So I think on the surface, when we want to gloss things over or we want to say your feelings are too big or this is crazy or God would not be happy with this, or we want to like give like little Christianese terms of like, you know, whatever, the one that you should, God can handle your anger. It's okay. And, or like we try to move people past their grief and anger too fast um, before they're ready to actually be they haven't actually dealt with it. Yeah. God has a plan. Everything's fine. Oh my gosh. I can't even hear it. <laughs> like I'm just not in that place. <laughs> but, um, I think first of all, that God doesn't call us to that, that God, God calls us to time seasons of lament and that he understands that there will be anger and grief so that we need to understand that. Um, but I just, I think what a gift we can give each other and give the world when we sit with people in that, when we allow them to just feel what they're feeling, it doesn't mean that we leave them there or we just say, um, you're perfect the way you are. It just means it's an acknowledgement of the human condition. And so like the same way that your mom saw what you were going through and helped you through it is the same way that people have seen what I'm going through. And instead of judging me for it, just let me be, let me sit Mm -hmm. with them. And I think that's a huge thing. I think that is one of the ways, one of the reasons why I love the church so much is that I have been a part of a church body who does that. Well, I've been a part of church bodies who don't do that well too. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was something when we had talked about, you know, why are we still here uh, that I wanted to, to touch on too, is that it could be for multiple reasons. Some of it is maybe it wasn't presented to me uh, growing up. And I th- I suspect that just as much it's because I wasn't paying attention or looking for sure. it. But I care very much about things like uh, racism and, and just hatred and, and bigotry and all these, all these things uh, I want. And I very much care about justice. I guess that's the main, that's like one of my passions in life sure. is justice and fair treatment and all these things. And I, I never felt like I was getting that until these last couple of years of like, Hey man, I I know that, uh, looking through just a, a political scope here, it can kind of seem like, well, the left is, is all about progress and it doesn't have to include God or it doesn't include God. And the right is all about uh, morality and, um, kind of shunning people if they're not behaving a certain way. And the, the realization that, God cares about a lot of the same things that I've always cared about. Yeah. Um, and to be able to finally see it through his lens yeah. is really, really refreshing. And so that's also contributed to where I'm at right now of like, man, either it wasn't present or I wasn't paying attention to it. And again, I think it was a combination of both, sure. but to be able to now be in a 
church that is having discussions about that yeah. stuff and understanding that it's not enough to just tell someone that's hurting to say, Oh God, you know, God's got it. God yeah. will take care of it. You know, God is the answer. Yeah. Like, like that can also, be true. And yeah. also like a way to shut people up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, to have that realization is just really helpful for me right now because understanding there's so much pain and, and negative, negative things that are happening. And to be able to say like, it's okay to sit in this for a while and work through it. I, I just think that's really great because I think a lot of times we as Christians are taught to just chalk it up to, Hey, God's God is the answer. And, um, anything you're struggling with, if you struggle with it too long, it's because you're not trusting God enough. And I think that that can be really harmful sometimes. Yeah. I think that is a huge tenet of the American evangelical church, at least, Mm -hmm. um, is the inability to really anything that doesn't make us feel good. We want to move past it fast. And I think that's probably tied up with just the American independent spirit too. So again, there's a lot of things that are tangled in there. Um, I, I know that in the untangling process for me it has been angering and sobering, but also like sort of what you said, this idea that like the only way that I was going to get pushed closer to God was by untangling it. So even mm-hmm. though it's painful and even though I feel like God's a giant and he's like shaking me in his fist, sometimes I, I think that reckoning is the only way growth is going to happen. Um, it just, it, I mean, like, there's no other way to say it, it just sucks in the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sucks to see. It feels almost untenable and unbearable. Um, but I, I think that good can come from it. I yeah. think the other way is untenable. I mm-hmm. think there's no way to continue to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think we're kind of landing in a spot of um, that. The answer in a lot of ways is community. Yeah. Right. So we need, we need community. We need correction. Uh, we need to understand that we've done some things wrong and simultaneously like cling to what we've done right, but acknowledge or remedy what we've done wrong. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's going to play a big part in where we move from here, whether it's in a, a good direction or a bad direction, like how much community do we actually have? And I, if you could help me work through this final thought, because I think as a Christian, there is that push and pull, maybe, maybe more something that like people along the lines of you and I would struggle with, but it's like, we really want to call out what we're seeing in the church, but we also need to say like to people that are only throwing grenades at the church, say like, get on board, like yeah. be part of the, part of the, um, the fix here. And so the church has been corrupted before. And so I, I guess what I want to challenge listeners with is like, if you're someone that would be part of a church, if you thought that church was a, a completely accurate representation of Jesus, then come on, like, let's work together to make it that way, I guess. So how do we, is that what we say? Or how do we say that? Well, I think if you're talking about people and it sounds like this is the people that you're talking about that uh, believe in God. And like you said, they would be in a church, but it has been painful to them. That's a two way street process, right? That it is not just on that, only on them to, and this is not what you're saying, but like to buck up and be a part of the solution because the church also needs to come alongside people and walk through that with them. Um, and I think community on its surface level sounds great. Like I love community. I'm a huge proponent of community, but also know that I have the community I'm in um, has been wonderful because it has been hard sometimes. Mm. And that has, I have had to walk through hard, difficult things. So 
I do, I would encourage people who are outside of the church, but still believe in the tenets of God and um, the faith. If all you're doing is throwing bombs, maybe it doesn't seem to, if that's not the solution, like you can throw bombs and be a part of, do you know what I'm saying? Like this idea of their only talk and no action, then that is a criticism I have for people inside the church too. Mm-hmm. So it just, I, I think that's can be inside and outside the church that if you're just talk and no action, who cares? I yeah. mean, <laughs> there's a time for talking and then there's a time for doing. Um, I just think it's a two way street of, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and be an authentic version of yourself and say like, be vulnerable about the fact that maybe you've had trauma in the church or maybe you've been hurt. And then the church also needs to be vulnerable and accountable to that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think so. I I think that it is a two way street and I think we are, but also we can't force people to go to a place that they're not comfortable with both physically and emotionally. So I just think it is a matter of walking with each other in grace and mercy and accountability. Mm-hmm. And I think the accountability one is really hard. It just sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Um, do you have any other like parting thoughts or things that you for sure wanted to hit on? Um, I'm not sure. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because I, it has been so difficult. And I, like I said, I don't think that it's just confined to you and I, I, I have talked to a lot of people that have been just so bewildered and hurt by the last five years and beyond that, like it's a problem that's beyond that. But if we're just talking about in recent times, um, I appreciate the effort and I just would encourage people to continue to have those hard, hard conversations. Um, I think it can be really discouraging to feel or that you might feel alone in it. I think that's what I felt Mm -hmm. like oftentimes I feel alone. And then when I speak up about it, I realize, Oh, I'm not alone. And, um, I think that's really important to realize that this is a community effort. Like we're not one person is going to change everything. Um, and we need to be a part of that community to help it if you want it to get better. Mm-hmm. I love it. And again, like not to say that Emily and I are perfect and that if, if the church would just listen to everything we say that it would all be better. Um, but for those like outside of the church, I just want to encourage you and and say like, there are people that are concerned about it within the church that are concerned about a lot of the same things you are that are concerned about these, this tangling of QAnon and Christian nationalism and politics and religion and all that stuff. Like there are conversations that are taking place around it. And if you want to hear some of those, like I'll link to that stuff in the show notes, there are people that are trying to work through uh, some of these things. So I don't know if that can be of comfort to you. I hope that it is. Um, but again, we don't have all the answers, but I, I really appreciate you coming on and just having this conversation. Cause you know, it's a lot of stuff, obviously I needed to get out. We went for an hour 20. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening. We love you. Bye-bye.